Word of God this morning is from Psalm 126. It is a psalm of ascent. It is one of 15 hymns the Jews used every, every occasion when they went to Jerusalem to worship God. And they did so with the full expectation that God was going to keep his promise in worship. And so I invite you now to hear the word of God. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were, were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who, who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is the word of God. Amen. You may be seated. While you're being seated, would you just look at your neighbor and say, have you experienced any joy lately? Would you, would you do that? Would you ask them? Joy is one of those fleeting things that we confuse with happiness. I noticed some of you said, uh, said, to, the, said to your neighbor, it's a real joy to see you, and the other person responded, yeah, it is really good to see you too. No, the, the interesting part about joy is that it's a fleeting idea that we have lost track of in our day. And I think part of it is because we confuse it with happiness. Uh, we are going through a series on the Psalms for the rest of the summer. And so as we go through this series, we're going to be looking at selected Psalms that talk about the joy of the Christian life. And the series is entitled Songs of Joy. That's really what the psalm is. I, I don't know if you've noticed that. I'm not one for poetry. I remember going to a poetry party one night and felt so depressed I just wanted to leave. Have you ever done that? It's not a fun occasion because most poetry is just kind of like bitter, bitterness and sadness and nothing ever turns out right. Well, fortunately, God knows that you need to experience him, not just believe with your head, but trust him with your heart. And so the Bible includes the Psalms. Now, let me give you an example. Some of you know the Psalms and you love the Psalms, but there's one Psalm that no one does not know. I, I have never met anyone who doesn't know this Psalm, and I want you to finish it for me. The Lord is my, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He, besides still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup of surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, we know that. Why do we know that? Because it's something that we have heard repeated or said so many times that we just by almost instinct have it in our hearts 
though many of people who say it don't understand about a cup running over and, and the rest of that. We, we don't get it because we don't feast on tables like people used to. You're wondering, aren't you? A good host would never let someone's cup become empty. They would continually pour into it until it was overflowing so that the person always had the provision they needed. God's provision for you is a cup overflowing. Do, do you believe that? Sometimes I don't. Sometimes life gets really bitter. Where do I go when those things are real? Well, that's why God has given you the Psalms. Happiness may dwell on materialistic things. That's what people are searching for in our culture today, something to make them happy. They're never going to be satisfied. Why? Because materialistic things never satisfy our soul. And so when we talk about joy over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about joy as a pleasure we can have in this life that is derived from soul-satisfying emotional well-being. You hear that? Soul-satisfying emotional well-being. While happiness comes from outside things, joy comes from what is in happening in our hearts. Why is this so important? Well, God wants you to know that he has provided a life of joy for you as you follow Jesus Christ. I, I don't know if you believe that. Because so often we find being a Christian a very difficult thing. We are sw swimming upstream. We are going in a different direction from the culture we live in. We are called to be up to a different standard than the people who we are surrounded by. And so often in the Christian life, we become very disillusioned and very uh, jaded because even in the church, the church, and I'm not talking about the building I, in, that, we're, that we're worshiping in. I'm talking about you as people. The church can be a place where we really hurt each other because we're looking for others to make us happy instead of looking to God to fill our soul with the things that satisfy us. And so many of you are coming to this church because you're looking for someone to supply your need. Well, you might as well go ahead and leave right now. Because there's nobody here that can provide your needs except God. And so if you're coming here and you're looking for God, then you will be satisfied. That's what Jesus said. But there has to be something that happens in you and me for that to occur. Something has to die in you. That search for happiness has to die in you before you begin to understand the joy of God. Well, why is that so important? Well, as we look at the Psalms this morning, we're looking at Psalm 126. It was a song that they sang as they, they gathered in Jerusalem. They would have a pilgrimage on the way to Jerusalem. And there was no place, once you arrived in Jerusalem, that you didn't have to ascend up a hill. In other words, you could not get to Jerusalem by going through Florida. It was a hill you had to ascend or climb up. In fact, the, the term backslid, have you ever heard someone backsliding? That comes from that understanding that the people who would journey and make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem would get about halfway up the hill and then suddenly remember something they think they need to go back home and get 
and they put that more important than God, and so they go back down the hill. They were backsliding. Instead of ascending into the presence of God, they were putting something else ahead of God. Uh, I, I, I just want you to know that, that that's such a temptation for me all the time. I hope you don't join me with that. We can be a backslidden people, at least I can. Well, in these songs of ascent, there were roughly 15 of them. There were 100, uh, if you're wondering, there are uh, Psalm 120 through 134 are the collection of psalms that were used and sung as they would ascend to the hill. Some people think because there were 15 steps that led from one part of the temple to the other that, that the, the music provided would all would, would provide singing so that people would process into the temple. I'm not sure how accurate that is, but the importance of this is these were songs that were sung, and they were sung every time they gathered for any of the feast in Jerusalem. So that just as you, just as you recited the Lord's Prayer, or excuse me, the Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, just as you recited that psalm by heart. No one, no one of you looked at, at a book. You didn't look up above my head at a screen. You knew that by heart. The Jews would know this particular song by heart. And as they would ascend up the hill, they would be singing this particular hymn along with the other 14. And interestingly enough, only this one and Psalm 123 is a psalm of lament. You say, well, what is a lament? Lament is... You ever had that? <sighs> you ever seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite? Don't. It's the most painful movie I've ever seen. It's about a teenager who goes <sighs> all the time. Well, that's, that's a lament. You ever had moments like that in your life? Could you imagine that there were moments where people lamented as they would gather for worship. <sighs> the psalm is not only a psalm of ascent, and it's not only one of 15 that were gathered and one of two that was a lament. It was a song that was to instill the freedom for people to cry out to God with their problems, the laments of their life so that they could obtain the joy that God would give them as they sought his face. Isn't that beautiful? Why is this so important? Well, it's Hebrew poetry, and so in Hebrew poetry, one of the things you find is that there seems to be a stanza that repeats itself. And so whenever you're reading in the Old Testament and you see something repeated, for instance, the narratives of, of the patriarchs, there means something repeated, that is the way they would write to emphasize things. But in the Psalms, it was not just to amplify the thought that was being expressed, it was to allow you to see the deeper truth behind it that would lead you to the joy of Christ, the joy of the Lord. And so this morning, there are three things I want to talk with you about that's important in this passage. And, and by the way, I will not exhaust this hymn or, or this psalm. I won't exhaust it in its truth because it's meant something that's meant to be experienced, not just taken in your head. It's something that's meant to be experienced. 
We're going to be seeing from the psalm this morning that there's a reason to trust in the Lord. And secondly, there's a reason to petition again God to do something. And thirdly, there's a reason to hope that the Lord will have a future or the Lord, or reason to hope in the Lord for our future. I don't know about you, but there is a future God has for you. And so in light of that, let's take the first one. The first is uh, a reason to trust the Lord. Look very carefully at your Bibles. Look very carefully at these three verses. It says very clearly that when the Lord, I'm reading from the NIV, the New International Version, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. What are, what are they saying? They, they were like men who were like, oh, we remember what God did. It was just so good. It was, it was almost out-of-body experience that we saw God do something that no one would believe. And when he did it, we were just in awe. You know, there are not many times in my life that I can think of that kind of moment. I think when my, my daughter was born, there was a moment of awe there where I was just literally, wow, right? The, uh, uh, when, when I saw Cindy come down from, from the back of the sanctuary at the Baptist church, we were married, and the doors opened, and this woman came out, and she wanted to marry me. And I was like, oh, wow, right? Well, let me tell you, those two things, they're the highlight of my life, but you know the greatest pinnacle of my life was when I heard the gospel? On July 25th, 1978, heard how much God loved me and what he did for me in the cross of Jesus and how Christ went to the cross for me, for my sin. And it so shook my life that when the question was asked, is there anyone here who would like to follow Jesus Christ, would like to accept his offer of forgiveness and salvation, I stood up. And what I experienced in that moment was that God truly loved me and he took care of a sin problem that I could not take care of. No matter how good I looked on the outside, I knew how dirty I was on the inside. And he washed me clean. The joy of that moment of salvation. I can remember when we were dating, Cindy and I, I would have to wait on Cindy and wait and wait and wait. But you know, when we were dating, that wasn't a wait. That was like anticipation, right? Come on, baby, right? And now after 30 years of marriage, I wait in the car and go, oh, God, how much longer? Right, right, <laughs> right? What changed? What changed? Some of you treat God that way. I do. Have you even prayed for our church this morning? Ha have you even prayed for our, our sermon? Have you even asked God to prepare your heart to face your sin while you're in this place before him? There was a moment when you used to do that. Wasn't there? You see, what, what has happened? The joy of our salvation. What, 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 what changed? My heart. 
This is why the psalm is given to us. And the reason that psalm, in this psalm, the verse 1, says, remember what God has done. Remember how he parted the waters. Remember how he delivered us from the most powerful ruler on the face of the earth. Remember how he brought us into the promised land and gave us honey and milk and farms and trees shedding fruit and homes we didn't build and wells that we drink from that we didn't dig. Remember this. Why? Because God did great things. That's really what the psalmist is crying out. He says in verse 2, our mouth was filled with laughter. I love that, don't you? I was trying to find something funny the other day on a TV program, and I could not just sit back except and shake my head because everything that is funny today is lewd and rancorous and wicked and does not inspire the best impulses of my life. Then I come to verse 2 and I think about what would fill my mouth with laughter and let my tongue start to sing. Isn't it the joy of knowing Christ and his love and forgiveness? And then in that powerful verse, the rest of it, it says, Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Meaning nobody's going to sit back and say, well, those are a bunch of curmudgeon people. You know, if you're a Christian, you ought to be the happiest person in the world. Should be, but maybe I should say not happy, maybe joyful. That is really the mark of the Christian today, is joy that comes not in the circumstances of our politics, economy, or world. A joy that comes in the security of knowing a God who does great things. And he does. I was talking with someone this past week who was talking about what's happening in the world with the gospel. Do you know that people are walking 25, 30 miles just to hear the message of God's word preached on foot? I have a problem getting out of bed in the morning. What about you? What has happened? I'm looking for something to make me happy. You know, I I dare say that's one of the conflicts that are happening in our church is we think church attendance is about what makes me happy. It's not. Church attendance is about being obedient to Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. You see, that's where the secret of this comes from. You go back and you look at all the great things God did. It only happened because God said, do what I say, and they did what he said, and it didn't look hopeful, it didn't look great, and God worked it out so that he was glorified. Did you notice that? I mean, could you imagine being Moses, leading a bunch of people who were scared to death about their future and their past, coming to the Nile River, And God saying, raise your staff. And the waters parted. 
and they passed on dry ground. Now, some of you have a hard time believing in miracles. It's like the little boy who heard someone in school teaching about this, how, how really the, the Israelites didn't cross where the Nile River is. They crossed where the Reed Sea is, which is a, a little puddle of water that kind of separated things. It's kind of like a marsh. And once the professor waxed eloquently about how the Bible could not possibly be true, the little boy in the back raised his hand and said, well, well, professor, that's an even greater miracle than I thought. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, how in the world did God drown all the Egyptians in just two inches of water? <laughs> the, the joy of our life is not in our possessions. It's not in our position. It's not in what other people think of me. You know what people think of you? They don't think of you at all because they're too busy thinking about themselves. The joy of our life is that God, who does great things, is at work in your life, conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. This is the joy that, that we come back time and time again to church to remember because it wasn't that I gave my life to Christ at one moment. It's that I am giving my life to Christ each day. That I am coming with the expectation that my life is hidden in Christ now. And that my joy is based upon whether I'm trusting in the word of God or not. Whether I'm following the word of God or not whether I truly believe the Word of God or not. And I want you to know there's a lot of gray area right now where people who are saying, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the Word of God. And I want you to know those people have no joy. Why? Because that joy comes from an inner, inner soul-filling knowledge of the God who saves us. We cannot save ourselves. Do you hear me? The second part of this is really quite powerful when you come to verse 4. If God has done great things in the past, then what has he done for me lately? In the words of Janet Jackson, right? <laughs> well, the psalmist anticipates that question by putting verse 4 in for us. Look at verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams of the Negev. Yeah, some of you have noticed how hot and dry it is. I don't understand you people. We live in the South. It's supposed to be hot. It's July. <laughs> and it's supposed to be dry because all the rains come before July the 4th. I, I bought a plant for Cindy for her birthday. I was so proud of myself. I went and picked it out. It's a dogwood tree. That dogwood tree is dying as we talk. It's planted in the yard. I've watered it every day. Y'all pray for that dogwood tree. It's, it's really, it's rough. But I want you to know as I've watered that tree, as I've waited for it, I am waiting with the great anticipation that if I give it enough water and if God is gracious enough, that thing will suddenly put out a green leaf. Keep praying. <laughs> and let me tell you, I'm crying out to God. God, restore this plant. And I've thought about that as I've looked at that plant. I thought, God, restore my life. Restore the joy of my salvation. 
keep my eyes off of what's happening in the world and keep them on Jesus. Isn't that what we just sang? Isn't that what we just sang and we've already forgotten the stanza? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let me tell you, you may have some children that have gone off the rail. You may have some grandchildren you're worried about. I feel sorry for our great-grandchildren if things continue the way they're going. But the only thing, the only hope, the only joy of the days that we live in is that there is a God who does great things. And because he does great things, I can cry out to him and say, God, restore. That word restore is used twice in verse 1 and in this verse, verse, verse 4. And there have been some arguments because some have looked at this in the Hebrew and said, he's talking about releasing from captivity, not just some God restoring the rain. He's talking about God restoring people who were in bondage. And I love that because Man, that's what God does. He takes us in the bondage that we have to sin, and he releases us. Therefore, if you're in bondage right now, you need to cry out all the more. Why? Because when God does the release, when God breaks the bondage, when God takes away the chains, then you know joy. And that's what he alludes to in the third part of this hymn. It's really quite powerful. He says there's a reason to hope in the Lord for the future. Sometimes I don't, I'm not so certain. Sometimes based on my feelings, I'm not sure if I can hope in the Lord. I mean, Lord, where are you when the wicked prosper and the righteous seem to be forsaken? Do you know that's in the Psalms? That's, that's from a psalm. And in those moments, God expects us to be that real with him in our prayers. By the way, if you're wondering how you can learn how to pray, read a psalm every day. And if you don't get it, if you can't quite make sense of it, um, there are a couple of translations that have been put out that have tried to help. Uh, Eugene Peterson has put out a, uh, what he calls a paraphrase of the psalms. And, and you, may, excuse me, you may find that helpful. I'm not sure if I do all the time, but it's a good resource. Why am I saying all this? Well, notice in the last section of the psalm how wonderful God is in the last two verses. You know, there are times when you wake up and you think, okay, God, all right, I'll do it one more time. God, I'll, do, I'll, I'll, I'll try to follow you one more day. God, I'll try to trust in you one more time. God, I'll believe in you, though everyone else says I'm a fool. I'll trust in you one more time. Why is that so important? Look at verse 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He, verse 6, he who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will, care, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves of him. Why is that so important? Well, if you go back to verse 4, when God does something great, it's almost like it happened immediately. It's like the water hitting the desert of the Negev. That water would come once a year. It would rain upon that arid, dry ground, and in moments almost, it seemed, Things would sprout green. Cindy and I were over in, in Israel in January of, of 1995, and we were there during the rainy season. And I want you to know, the hillsides around that place are just absolutely brimming 
overwhelming beauty of wildflowers, unbelievable colors. But in the rest of the year, that land is barren and rocky and brown and, and kind of looks like Colorado or maybe certain parts of California or maybe Mexico. But when we were there, we saw the effects of that rain when it came in the Negev and it just burst with greenery. That, I mean, why can't God just wave a wand and do that, right? Well, the image here there is, yes, it, it seems that God does that when he reveals the joy that he gives in our lives. It seems instantaneous, but the truth is, that joy is only experienced as we give ourselves daily, by day, by day to God. We are sowing the seeds of trust, of obedience to God, so that as we sow those seeds day by day by day, suddenly something comes up, and it's beautiful, and it's green, and we go, wow. We just got sweet corn in our garden. It was a miracle. No, no, it was a miracle. Because when we planted that corn, it looked spiky and it looked dead. But we kept watering, we kept hoping, we kept praying. And my wife comes in from the garden the other day and she says, look what I've got for supper. It's two ears of sweet corn. And we put it on our plates, and we were just like, oh, God, you were so good. And we cut it off, and we, we chewed it and got it stuck between our teeth, and it was great. It didn't happen like that. There were some things that had to be sown. Some of you are feeling overwhelming dryness in your life right now. Do you, do you think maybe God has allowed that? So that you'll plant the seeds of trust and obedience and love for him in that parched soil of your life so that when he does great things in you, it will bloom. And you'll go, You are so good to me. Maybe you should take this psalm home and sing it. I hear that they're actually a, a Christian sect, a, a Christian church that only sings the 150 psalms for worship. If I did that in this church, y'all would fire me because they're not easy to sing. But maybe we should. Is it wrong to hope in God for the future? No. Is it wrong for him to, to be called on to help us in our time of need? No. But it's wrong to think that God would do so without us first trusting and obeying his word. Well, let me ask you this morning, where are you in that? 
I'm not asking you if you believe in Jesus. I'm asking, do you trust him enough to obey his word? Do you even know what he's said so that you know what to do? Well, I want you to know the minute you take hold of that and you take seriously what it means to follow Jesus and you start pouring your, his word into your life, there is a joy he has prepared. How do I know that? Because he says so. There is a joy he has prepared for all those who seek him. Don't you want that? That's exactly what Jesus said, and they crucified him. Come, to, come unto me, all you who are la heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and our Father, as we think about the Psalms and we begin to walk in the joy of our salvation, we, we want to confess to you, God, that we are a fickled people. That many times we think it's just about being happy. And happiness never lasts. No, it, it's the salvation of our Christ that we seek to obtain and hold on to and walk in. And so this morning there may be someone in the sound of my voice who has shared the same journey I have had where I have looked to the wrong people, the wrong places, and the wrong times to find joy and have confused it with happiness. There is no one here that can make me happy. There's no one in this world that can make me happy forever. I know that there are men and women who are committing adultery today because they think that this person will make them happy when in fact you have given them a spouse to help them find joy. I, I know in the sound of my voice there are people who are thinking of new ways to steal and take from others what, do not, what does not belong to them. And they're inventing even new ways to obtain wealth through ill-gotten gains. And they think that will make them happy but it will never give them joy. There are people who attend church because they want to have a good feeling so that when they go home, they will at least feel good about themselves. And it will only last until Monday morning. Instead of coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I, I want to know the joy of my salvation I want to know you and the only way I can know you is by loving you and obeying you would you help me do that I'm so weak so tempted so distracted restore God restore our fortunes we ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. And the people of God sit together.